Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 16, Jamie Makes Stencils, recorded on December 13th, 2013. It's actually Friday the 13th. My name is Julie Fafan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. So I was in Boston recently for Thanksgiving, and we went to a juried craft fair, which, you know, I think sometimes when you think about craft fairs, you think about, like, things... um, that are uh, like little dolls and other tiny stuff. But this is like uh, jewelry and lots of like uh, diamonds. And it's very, I don't know how to put it. Do you, can you do a better job of explaining it than I can? I just think it's, uh, I mean, there are other things. There's furniture and artists and lamps and all kinds of things. But the idea for me is that I like to meet the people who are making the things. They have stories they have relationships with the items that they make and that's what gives the items some resonance for me and then if I buy something uh, I feel that I have more than just the thing in my hand I have the whole story and it's really it's some of the most interesting people are these craft artists. So it's worth it to me to go there. And uh, uh, I enjoyed being with you as well because you have a really good eye and you sometimes pick up things that I wouldn't have thought of picking up. Well, it's interesting to me also going with you because you have these relationships now I see with many of these artists where you go by a booth and the artist immediately is like, oh, Eileen, it's so nice to see you again. And they sort of know your taste and they've seen you over the years and they, you know, will say, oh, this is new since the last time where they actually remember the piece uh, of jewelry or the scarf or whatever it is that they sold you three years ago, you know? I think that's part of them having an emotional relationship with the things that they make. They don't just sit down and randomly churn it out. And then the other thing is you can see them develop over time as artists and how they how they change and what new items they're making. And uh, I think it's just it's like reading a blog, only only read it once or twice a year. But it's really interesting to me. And uh, uh, I I find that. I love wearing something, which is what I usually buy, although I buy other things as well. I love wearing something where there's more than just the piece. You know, I know what the person was thinking when they made it. Yeah, and I like that so many of the pieces are one of a kind. You're never going to see it coming or going. They made this piece. It is what it is. It'll never happen again. Right, and a lot of the things are not particularly expensive, but they're funny or they're whimsical or they're something I wouldn't have thought of. Uh, And I just like that idea of playing around with expectations. Yeah, and I do, like, I also really take your point about it's not, like, a lot of the blogs I follow, it's not just the art of the person that I like. It's often I'm interested in their life and their perspective on things, and I do feel like when you meet the artisan at one of these craft fairs, you feel differently about their work. Like, it makes sense in a different way. Exactly. It's kind of cool. You bought some things that I thought uh, had stories. This thing you bought that comes in a special box And the box is as special as the piece of jewelry. Yeah, it has a name and everything, and the box is an altar. It's actually, uh, it's a husband and wife team of really interesting, um, two very interesting artists. Their last name is Moses, I believe. Um, And they make these 
uh, this jewelry that sits in all these interesting sort of altars. And the one that I bought actually is in, a, I think it was a library drawer or something at some point that has been turned on its side to create this sort of two-story altar. It's a very cool thing. I'm excited. I can't wait for the box to arrive. I took the, I took the uh, necklace, but I couldn't take the box in my suitcase, so they're shipping it. Anyway, speaking of meeting the artist behind something, I'm really excited about our guest today, who's Jamie Act, and Jamie is the founder and the owner of the Crafters Workshop, you know, a company that makes stencils, and they make the wafer-thin dyes, too. And as you know, I design stencils for Jamie and the Crafters Workshop, but what you probably don't know is that Jamie has had a long and interesting career in the craft industry long before the Crafters Workshop was even a glimmer in her eye. So hi, Jamie. Welcome. Hey, nice to hear from you both. I, we can't help it. When the three of us get together, it's mostly a lot of giggling and girl talk. <laughs> um, so, Jamie, can you take us through, tell us the story of your sort of evolution here as an artist and then into being a business owner? Sure. And and there's it's fun hearing about your trip to the um, to the craft fair because I've, I've been there as well. So I'll, I'll start you off. I went to uh, school for fine arts in the beginning and um, I went to Washington University in St. Louis, which is far, far away from my hometown in uh, just outside of New York City in Spring Valley. And when I was there, a few things happened. I, I also got interested in marketing. So I, I studied both art and marketing. But while in St. Louis, which is, you know, it's Midwestern, I got interested in quilting. So I was already doing a lot of stuff with textiles, with fashion design, and um, went to the St. Louis Art Museum and saw these people kind of doing a quilting bee and um, just uh, was amazed. I, I really hadn't been exposed to quilts or, or how they were put together or how their designs worked. And, and I guess kind of as a graphic artist, that, that repeat of design, that pattern, that rhythm, it, it really spoke to me. I, I love the way a pattern repeats and then, and then it creates its own design within it. So from there, I joined a quilt guild while I was a college student and um, took out lots of books about quilting and taught myself quilting and I probably took a class or two out there and got out of college and realized there were no fashion design jobs in St. Louis. Shocker. <laughs> so moved back in with my parents, worked on 7th Avenue, which is the fashion district of New York City, which is a, a real dog-eat-dog -dog kind of world, and um, ended up at Coach Leatherware which was um, accessories and, um, you know, long hours. But I still had this thing about fabric. I was still making quilts. Um, I was making baby quilts for all the people who were a little bit older than I was and having babies. And, um, and then people were commissioning me for quilts. And I had a lot of quilts, and I found I could whip out these quilted pillows easily. I was even buying antique quilts and salvaging parts of them and turning those into pillows and then framing others, other pieces that couldn't be made into pillows and realized I needed an outlet for all of this. So I started doing these craft fairs, and some of them were amazing and some of them were just horrible. Um, the big joke was we did one, um, kind of in the Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, where, where this, where they meet and, um, this beautiful booth with beautiful quilts. And my friend Mary was there and she had beautiful things with dried flowers and it was noon and we hadn't sold a single thing. 
Mm. And this and this booth probably cost us two hundred dollars, which is a lot of money, you know, to have zero sales and to have driven whatever an hour and a half, two hours to get there at four in the morning or five in the morning. So uh, all of a sudden, somebody comes into our booth and she's so excited and she goes, "Oh, that's it!" And I'm thinking, "Oh yes, yes, please buy it." And she's like, "Oh my God, Mom, come take a look!" And I'm like, "Oh yes, buy two of them." And she goes, "Oh." That's what I'm going to make Aunt Harriet for Christmas. And I thought, I am so in the wrong place. <laughs> because we were in this part of the country where people didn't necessarily buy crafts from people. They made crafts, which was a big clue to me to find places. You know, or like we are near Scarsdale. I used to do some great sales in Scarsdale. They have beautiful, beautiful craft fairs there. Um, a little more upstate and, in, in, you know, just some places where people enjoy connecting with the artists. You know, they're not going to sit there for 60 hours and make a quilt. They will happily buy one. And it was, it was really fun. And from there, people locally would say, well, do you teach quilting? And I think, uh, yeah, 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 I do. I teach quilting. <laughs> and so... I mean, I have two younger sisters, you know, always playing school. I was like, yeah, sure. I teach quilting. So I started getting a few gigs with the adult ed programs, the continuing education programs, the after school programs, senior citizen programs. And before I knew it, I had stuff going on morning, noon, night, weekends, and all while working at Coach Leatherwear. And um, at some point, I just kind of looked at it and thought, you know, I could piece together something with this. I could, I could hustle this together and, um, gave my notice at coach and, you know, hopped on, hopped in my Toyota Tercel at the time and all of my, my bags and my buckets of supplies. And I cobbled together seven day a week, morning, noon, night classes, teaching everywhere, teaching anything. I mean, it went from quilts and then it was in the, uh, it was probably early 90s. There was uh, Victoriana crafts. There was dried flower arranging. Um, lots of really great stuff. We would do wreaths for all occasions, you know, into Easter and then into the summer and, of course, Christmas and Thanksgiving. And I was busy and, and doing all sorts of things and, and really limited, too, by the crafts that were available in craft stores. Around here, all we had was something called Frank's Nursery and Crafts and Fabric Bonanza. And that was it. So, and then the, there were a few quilt shops. And um, I started going to what was then HIA and ACCI because I would go as a, as a designer of classes because I needed to see what interesting products were coming out. And there was some cool stuff coming out. So I would purchase what I could and do those in my classes, but I'd always end up with leftovers. So if I had to purchase, say, 24, but I only had 21 students, I, I would have three of whatever left over. So at the end of the semester, in my teeny tiny apartment, I would have an end-of-the-year sale with all the samples out, where Pete and I'd invite all of my, my students to come by and see the samples and, and buy more product if they wanted to, because, you know, I knew I had, to, I had to liquidate it in order to buy more for the next semester. And at some point, I, I looked at my schedule in and out of my car, you know, up and down these steps of these schools that, of course, did not have elevators, um, 
dragging these giant containers, you know, these storage containers filled with supplies. And you know, you know, craft supplies are not light. I mean, we're talking everything from glue guns to, to paper to adhesive and all of the gobbledygook and accessories that go with that. And, you know, I was doing some scrapbooking. I was doing some stamping that was all very new and, and kind of people didn't know what to make of it. And I bought a book from Nolo Press, which I think is out of print, N-O-L-O, called um, How to Write a Business Plan. So I sat down and I gave myself this job of writing a business plan of what it would take to open up a craft store. This is about 19, I had, Ben was born in 1995, so this was probably 1996. And um, I started applying for an SBA loan. And I found a small bank that said, you know what, you have everything you need for an SBA, but we'll just, we're happy to give you our own loan because there are fewer hoops to jump through. And we think this is going to be a good thing. So in 1997, I opened up a little 800 square foot craft store with a teeny tiny classroom in the back and um, all of my supplies that I needed. So this way my students could come to me and I could teach as many classes, but I'm not, you know, going from, from this side of the county to that side of the county, up into Connecticut, down into New Jersey. And um, they came, you know, and it was seven days a week. My store was open, had some really fun craft supplies. Um, I went to the trade shows. I took as many classes as I could. I learned all sorts of techniques. Um, I paid off my loans. And um, then about like... Yeah, toward the end of end of ninety seven, beginning of ninety eight, I was frustrated that there were no stencils that I really liked. And you know, I'm a New York girl. I you know, I want what I want. You know, New York never sleeps. You know, if you want to order a pizza at eleven o'clock at night, gosh darn it, you could have one. So I thought, well, I want certain styles of stencils. I mean, here I came from the fashion world, right outside of New York City. My customers knew what they wanted, and I couldn't give it to them. So I drew some interesting designs and some fonts and whatever else and had them cut. And then I took the list of names of all the store owners I'd met at ACCI and CHA who were in the United States or HIA. And I faxed them pictures of these designs. And I said, Hey, this is what it's going to cost. Would you like to buy some? And most of them said, yes. So, which was good because I probably had to order a minimum number of stencils and I wasn't sure how I was going to sell all of those in my store. So I reached out to my friends. They said, yes, they came, we stuck them into envelopes. We mailed them off, took their credit card numbers or, or probably, you know, had them mail us checks and they sold and people liked them and people reordered them. And we had them in our store and people would buy them and they drive for, you know, hundred miles to come get my stencils. And so I came out with a few more, you know, what the heck? It was fun. So again, I sent, I fax all of these people like, here, we've got some more. Would you like more? And sure enough, all of my fellow store owners jumped on and said, yeah, yeah, they, they sold really well. Let's get some more. And little by little, we just started making them and listening to what people wanted. And of course, we used them in our classes and our teachers used them in their classes. I mean, we did about 30 classes a month in my store and um, they were typically full, you know, anywhere from eight on a slow night, 12, you know, was average. We could get 20, you know, once we started taking over more space in the strip mall. And um, our stencils were a really big hit. 
So we thought, well, let's take a booth at, at this new show. I think, I don't even know if it was CHA. It was probably still HIA at the time. And we took a booth and people really liked them. And then people in Canada started carrying them and people in the UK and people in, in um, the Netherlands and um and mexico it was it, it was we were every time we shipped someplace new we were like wow it's you're going to the uk you're going to spain and we just kept kind of you know doing what we do staying in touch with our customers seeing what they liked listening to them and bringing out some pretty cool stuff so i i'm trying to think i don't think i had i by the time we hit 2005 i kind of looked at the situation, which was a seven day a week situation. By that time I had two kids. They were always at work with me. So we didn't have any, any help. You know, they were, I was full-time mom, full-time designer, running the business, running my store. I had, you know, probably about 15 instructors at my store, great classes, visiting instructors. It was bananas. And I just had to kind of look and say, what what am I looking for as far as quality of life? And quality of life for me at that point meant pretty much having my weekends off. It meant being able to go to soccer games, attend birthday parties, um, clean my house. <laughs> these were these were minor details that uh, that just were escaping me for years and years. And we made the really tough decision to close our store, but to keep the wholesale business going. And the wholesale business was predominantly Monday to Friday. We had a, a nice group of people working for us. And we could also scale down our overhead. So, you know, where some people were going, let's, you know, let's let's keep going. Let's hit, let's hit a million, let's hit two million. We were going, yeah, let's just let's just try for a 40 or 50 hour work week instead of a 75 hour work week. And um it was it was much more sane. It was nice, and that was it was also the time that um, my father in law came to live with us, and he um, he had some some disabilities. He had Parkinson's. He was on dialysis. Um, he he really struggled with anxiety and OCD, and um, you know he was not getting the attention he needed either. And um, you know it was just the right thing for us to do as a family, and um, even just in our community. You know I just. I I really enjoyed being a Girl Scout leader, but always was squeezing it in. And, um, you know, being involved in my congregation was also important and just didn't have the time for those things. So I think 2005, we closed down the retail. And I'm, I'm trying to remember, when did we first start? You were essentially our first signature artist. So what that, that was a little bit further down the road. If we're in 2013, what would you say that was like 2011, 2010? Yeah, yeah that sounds. That sounds yeah, that sounds I think I'm getting an echo yeah, through the computer. computer. Can you hear it? Yes. Oh. I'll lower my, um, is this better? Uh, let's see. Can I hear myself now? I can't, but can you still hear me talking to you? Yeah. I'll, okay. I'll yes. Good. So, uh, so yeah, I, I was the, um, the sole designer. Um, we had a couple of graphic artists here and there who, if there was an idea that we wanted to explore, um, we hired somebody to do a few things here and there. And some of them are still selling, like um, um, was one woman, Victoria, did some of our designs, and, and they're gorgeous. Um, but I would say the first 200 designs are mine, my pen, my ink, um, those bricks that everybody knows, that's that's me. That's me sitting. Um, I'm trying to remember if it was before I had a, 
I did everything on the computer with a stylus or when I did it, you know, with a Sharpie pen, but, um, yep. Each one of those bricks I drew by hand, every little notch and jiggle. That's, that's me drawing. So, um, there's yeah, a lot of stuff in the, way. in the craft industry these days, which is clip art. People don't realize a lot of those designs come from clip art, but I, I do think it's important to point out that everything that you put out with the crafters workshop is hand-drawn. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. And you know, um, I, my, my thrust in life is to see, to see the good. I mean, it sounds kind of Pollyanna, but you know, even what's bad is good. And, um, the one thing that I've struggled with is that, you know, whether it's my design or your design or one of my other designers designs, um, I really respect the time that artists put into the work that they do. I mean, I certainly put hours upon hours into my designs and, um, I find it a little disturbing that, um, that people have no qualms about just, you know, copying and pasting it off the website and then, um, reproducing it. Now, I'm not just talking about, you know, you made something once or twice because, you know, we have a nice angel policy. We, I'm very, very easy about it. You know, if, uh, hey, I come from, from humble beginnings of being in a craft fair. You know, I mean, yeah, I'm going to make, if I'm selling something at a craft fair, I'm going to make probably three, five, you know, one of a kinds are one of a kinds. But, you know, once you get something that's kind of working, you want to make a few of them because you need to make some money. But for people who don't know, can you just explain what an angel policy is? Oh, sure. An angel policy basically says, you know, you are a professional crafter. Perhaps you are a professional artist. You are making something that somebody else is going to buy, like Mama Eileen. She's going to a craft fair. She sees something beautiful and she wants to uh, she wants to buy it, whether it's wearable art or something, you know, home decor. Um, So. An angel policy says, if you would like to use this product, i.e. my stencil, and if you would like to use it in your product that you're making and you're hand replicating it, you know, I think we listed uh, 10 items. There's there's some number that we checked with our attorney to see what was appropriate. Um, and if you're making it by hand and, um, you know, each one is going to be kind of unique in its own way because you're making it by hand, but you're using my stencil and you're using the design in my stencil on your product, we're okay with that as long as you're hand replicating it and it's, you know, somewhere in the 10 piece range, you know, of, of how many times you're going to replicate it this way. We're cool with that. Um, so that basically says, yes, you can use it if you're a professional artist, professional crafter. That's the angel policy. Did I explain that well? I think so. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But what what is not okay is to then take that design and mechanically reproduce it either in one of those cutting home cutting machines, either as a stencil or, or even I've seen some people taking it and using it online and selling the design as is, I mean, down to the squiggles, you know, that's not okay because that's, that belongs to me. That was, you know, that's my intellectual property or it's your intellectual property. So, um, you know, I, I, I am very supportive of people who make their, living on selling crafts and making crafts. But I'm also really supportive of people like you, Julie, who makes their living on creating beautiful designs. And, you know, I, I pay royalty to all of my designers every quarter, you know, based on what I sell. And 
then a check goes out to you or to Rhonda or whoever's my designer every, every quarter. So if somebody else is selling something and it's taking away from those sales, it's taking away money from you as well. And, and that's not okay because you're owed this money. This was your work. You put a lot of time into it. I think it's a, I mean, it's a big issue that people talk about a lot now, I find, because it is with the internet, it's very easy to snag these images, you know, and just use them. And I think there are a lot of people who think, you know, what's the big harm? It's a big company. But when you think about it, you know, it is, it's just a lot of individual people. And, you know, I remember a woman explained it to me once, a friend of mine from the industry, and she said, you know, I think about the fact that it's like they um, they cordoned off the Plymouth, uh, you know, the, the Plymouth Rock where theoretically the pilgrims landed. That's now cordoned off because people kept hacking off little pieces of the Plymouth Rock. And the wow. problem is if one person takes a little piece, okay. But the thing is if 100 people do it, then guess what? The rock gets a lot smaller. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're a small business person and Rhonda Palazzari is a small business person. And, you know, we're we're all just small business people. We're, I mean, not that it's okay to steal from Kmart or Walmart, but, you know, there, there is that perception that, you know, well, it's a big company. No, no, I have, I have two kids, you know, uh, this is, this is our bread and butter. I have, you know, a big guy going to college. Um, and I have the same bills to pay as, as the person across the street does, you know, and, and besides that, it's just not right. And it's not respectful. And, um, you know, I just, I just think that if we, <laughs> in this world, if we just do what our moms told us to do, which is to do the right thing and be nice to each other and be respectful, I, I just think that everything falls into place a lot nicer. So I would, I would just put it out there as do the right thing, do what your mama told you to do. <laughs> That's making some big uh, assumptions about what my mother ever said to me. <laughs> I, I know your that. <laughs> I know your mother. <laughs> and she knows what's right and wrong. It's but true. Anyway. It's so true. That's that's how the Crafters Workshop got started. We were literally a workshop where um where people came and made beautiful art and they used to call it a crafting therapy. Yeah. And a lot of them still get together, which is kind of funny. Um Pardon, pardon the expression. One one group actually calls themselves. Uh, they call their get-togethers their stitch and bitch sessions. Um, we did later add beads to our stores, so I think that's where the the stitching comes in. And I'm not gonna, I won't comment on the other part. But um, and there's another bunch that still gets together to do um, card swaps every every single month. Um, and then they do a big Christmas party, which you know, if I can make it, I usually try to come and and see. You know, there's like. 24 women who still get together who would never have known each other if we hadn't had our store. And um, there's a whole bunch of um, Stampin' Up! demonstrators who, uh, who we miss. We used to have a Stampin' Up! demonstrator appreciation night once a year. And um, the queen of all of them, Kathy Perlitzis, would come and um, lots of her girls would come and, and other women from different uplines and downlines. And we would just have a great night where, you know, it's all about I shouldn't say this, but it's all about women connecting. And I, I'm sorry, guys out there, for all the guys who are listening. I mean, I had 4,000 4, people on my mailing list, and three of them were men. <laughs> Hello, guys. But um, it's, you know, women love to connect. And um, our shop was kind of that, was kind of like cheers, you know. It was the, everyone knows your name, and you come in, and you stay a while. And, you know, sometimes we'd have all-day classes, and many times we'd have all-night classes. And 
um, it's just nice that, that a lot of people made those connections and they still hold on to them now, eight, almost nine years later. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think that craft is a, is a community building activity. I know that one of the things that draws me to it and, and always has is that aspect of community. Yeah. Kind of like the quilting bee. I mean, it kind of comes full circle because, um, the scrapbook nights, you know, I always saw that parallel between, you know, the crop nights and the quilting bees, you know, it's that I, you know, and for a while I was studying, um, art therapy and the concept behind that is when somebody, when you can engage somebody's hands and their creative side of their mind, it often allows them to access other things that otherwise are difficult to talk about or to express or to, um, to interpret. And I would find, you know, I love that feeling when I'm quilting or when I'm beading, um, when I'm lost in my thoughts, when the colors are just dancing in front of me. And it really, it, I mean, just for the daydreaming possibilities, I love that. I love where my mind goes. And, um, but, but also, I, you know, for anybody who's ever been at a quilting bee or at a crop night or even just like a slightly longer class, you know, those three-hour classes, you really connect with people and sometimes in ways you know, you, that you haven't recently or, um, or, or people, people reveal things about themselves that they wouldn't typically reveal, um, either something that they're, they're going through or something they've experienced in the past. Um, we, we always had a box of tissues handy because it, you know, it, I, I just, again, it's, it, it's, it's a lot about how women interact and how we as women recharge our batteries and, um, you know, that, again, it's that connecting, that release, um, the acknowledgement that women give each other, uh, you know, either on an artistic level or on an emotional level. Um, yeah, I just, I, I miss a lot of that. And um, I'm very proud that, you know, that we got to play that role for a little while here in, in the Westchester, New York area for, for a lot of people. But um, and I think it's a, an amazing thing about the craft industry. And, and it's not just about women. But uh, but this segment, as we all know, you know, this this part, you know, the, a lot of the paper arts um, and fabric arts um, people, they, they do tend to be women. And it does. And, and I have to say the men who are involved in in paper arts and in fabric arts are phenomenal people, because, first of all, they have to put up with all of us and. <laughs> And I'm sure, you know, in any class you might take, there's going to be 19 women, one guy. And um, he's got to be, he's got to be kind of tough and, and, and kind of soft in the middle too, because um, it, it's, it's a very special place. And I'm sure, you know, when you've taught classes, you've gotten some amazing feedback from people. Yeah, I mean, I think art, making art is a meaningful experience. And even when it's, uh, even when the art you're making isn't necessarily like deep or thought provoking or whatever, it is again like cooking. It's the community of sharing. It's the, oh, here's a tip. Oh, you don't have any glue. Take some of mine. Oh, where did you get that? That's so interesting. I don't, I don't know. There's something in which um, I think you really just feel differently about those experiences, you know, because there's so much sharing. 
I also yeah. think you connect often with people with whom you wouldn't have thought you had anything in common. So it's a way of discovering this kind of mutual humanity in someone whom you might have thought wasn't at all your quote unquote kind of person. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of fun to get thrown together with, with all different types of people, you know, people, even, even for me as, you know, when I was a mom with young kids, you know, and that's all I, you know, was exposed to. And here I'd meet some pretty amazing women who didn't have kids or women who were, you know, 15 and 20 years older than I was, um, or people in, who do things that I have no exposure to. I, you know, we had a, um, we had a heart surgeon, we had a brain surgeon. I was like, yeah, I, I just don't typically cross paths with, you, you know, don't do that in your spare time. <laughs> I'll do a little heart surgery. Now I have a half an hour open. The heart surgeon used to take a lot of our beating classes. And it was, it was very impressive. I'm like, ooh, good detail. <laughs> that's exactly what I want out of my heart surgeon. So that's yeah. a good thing. <laughs> so, yeah. Jamie, I know that you have, I mean, for a long time, uh, when this Crafters Workshop was putting out stencils, you were one of the, I mean, you were the only stencil-only company that I can recall. And yeah. there weren't a lot of even the big companies that were putting out stencils. And I'd say in the last year or so I've seen it seems like a stencil explosion I know it's crazy right do you can you uh put your finger on why you think that has happened ah well <laughs> I'd like to say it's because we set such a great example of of what good stencils could look like and um and we certainly did open up the market to say hey you know this is some pretty cool stuff. You can use it with so many things. Um, you know, I, I, who knows? I, I, I also think all of the planets aligned in a certain way. I think that um, people were ready to embrace that crazy thing called mixed media, um, which, you know, I, I get a kind of giggle out of because, you know, here I, in school, you know, in, in 1983, you know, you had to take mixed media 101. I mean, that it didn't just, it didn't just happen like in 2000 and five or six, it's, it's been around a little while. So it's, it's kind of fun to see it hit mainstream and to see women who, who always like things to be pretty and neat and tidy and clean, um, get their fingers dirty. I mean, that was, that was actually a lot of fun in my store to watch people like Kelly Kilmer come and do a class for us and, um, and get messy, you know, and leave with your fingers all stained and, and sticky. Um, I think that there was a, an opening of people's eyes that, you know, um, sometimes playing with a lot of different things is a lot of fun. And I think that there were a lot of fun products out on the market, you know, at just the right time also. So it was, in some ways, it was a perfect storm that the, the products were getting interesting and people were at that point of looking for something else, you know, okay, I've mastered rubber stamping, I've mastered card making, I've mastered, you know, um, ATCs, what will I do next, you know, and even ATCs kind of, you know, brought people along that was very fringe for a while. And um, the artist trading cards. Um, our store was really big into swaps. I mean, we did domino swaps, you know, where you, you'd get a you'd set of dominoes or you'd buy one domino and you'd alter it, you know, so the whole altered 
you know, altered items, you know, whether it was a domino, whether it was a shoe, whether it was, you know, a playing card. Um, I think that that, you know, there are a lot of fringe people, you know, kind of my, my um, early adopters, I would call them the ones who will try anything when it first comes out, you know, they would play around with stuff, but it seemed to have trickled down to mainstream where, you know, all of a sudden people were using all sorts of things on their scrapbook pages, you know, that used to be forbidden. And now there was an openness to it. Um, I'll corroborate that. I was in a very small Michaels last week and I noticed that there's a lot less paper and embellishments and stamps and stickers than there used to be. And it's more about supplies for creating something on your own. Nice. Yeah. I, I, I have not stepped foot in Michael's um, recently. I, I'm a little afraid to because it is the holiday season. <laughs> so I'm hanging low until until the fun subsides and the greenery goes away. But those are fun places. I, and I really miss the fact that we don't have a, a local scrapbook store or a local stamp store near us. There is one, There's a wonderful one, the ink pad in the city. But, you know, as a suburbanite with a car, you know, I, I just, I, I think I have to drive about an hour in order to get to someplace either in uh, Connecticut or New Jersey. So I think the internet has something to do with that as well. People just order online. They don't need to go to the store, but I love walking among the shelves uh, and sort of fingering everything. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I mean, you know, I'm a, I, I always introduce myself as a recovering retailer, you know, hello, my name is Jamie and I'm a recovering retailer because I'm still so drawn to the retail experience. I mean, online is fine, but you're right. I need to fondle stuff. I, I just, I need to look and feel and touch and touch it some more. <laughs> Can you talk about the nuts and bolts of running a business that, that people sure. probably don't realize is sure. so, is so uh, completely not about artistry? Oh, it is not, you know, uh, it's funny that that came up a lot when I had my store because um, <laughs> we were open seven days a week. And on Saturdays, we would do on a Saturday the equivalent of what we did the other six days of the week. And of course, on a Saturday when it's nice and busy, you know, uh, uh, ladies would come in with their husbands and their husbands would look around, hands on their hips and go, honey, this is what you should do. You know, you have enough supplies to start your own store. And I. If I overheard this, I'd look at him and go, yeah, but you know, on Tuesdays, we're in the store naked. And he goes, what? And I'm like, well, yeah, nobody's here on Tuesdays. So we just don't even put on clothes. And, but, and, and the same thing, my sister, you know, who she, she once said, well, why don't you just close on your slowest day? I'm like, Jill, I don't know what my slowest day is going to be until I get there. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's the tough thing is that um, it's a business. And it's not a hobby. And if you decide you want to open a store because you love to shop and you love to do crafts, well, sorry to tell you, you will you will not be shopping for fun. You'll be shopping for adhesive. Make sure you have enough tape and make sure you know you have enough white paper and black paper. And that's that's not as exciting as it sounds. And um, you will not get a chance to do a whole bunch of crafts because you're going to be running a business. You're going to be paying bills. You're going to be making a schedule. You're going to be um, paying your insurance. Um, it's it's and and when somebody doesn't show up, you're there. That's your job. So 
what it takes is, is a good business plan, a good relationship with an accountant, a good relationship with your bank, because at some point you're going to need cash flow unless you're, you know, independently wealthy. Um, and you need to remember that you can only buy as much as you have money for. So, and you can't, you, you can't keep buying the stuff that you like. You have to buy the stuff that's going to sell. We had a joke in our store called your baby's ugly. And that basically meant, you know, Jamie, you bought those things. You love them like your babies, but guess what? You bought 12 of them. You still have 11 on the shelf. And that's only because you took one of them home with you to try to make a sample. So accept the fact your baby's ugly. Now you have to get rid of it, which means you have to mark it down. And, you know, the sad part about that is you don't make your money back. <laughs> so um, as far as running a retail business, I, I would say go in it with a business head, not with your crafting head. And um, do it because you love business, not because you love making making uh, cards or making scrapbook layouts. And, um, you know, make sure that you have enough support, you know, either at the business level and at home to do what you need to do. And approach it that way because it is a business. And if you don't approach it as a business as a, and you instead see it as a hobby, those are the ones that go out of business really fast. And with that goes the money that you've invested. And well, as far and as your, oh, go ahead. No, well, no. in your current business, you have manufacturing issues, shipping issues, you have a staff. I mean, you have to maintain a blog and tweet and go to trade shows. I mean, there's still just a whole lot of stuff that isn't again. Artsy. Yeah. Well, speaking yes. of that, Jamie, will you take us through? I mean, I know you do so many things behind the scenes that people probably have no idea you're doing. Will you take us through just a quick list of the million hats that you wear? Sure. Well, I am first and foremost the um, creative director. So all designs pass through me, whether I do them myself. And yes, sometimes my baby is ugly and, and I have to accept that. And and all of my designers pass them through me, and you know we both and might you love certainly some tell us when something's ugly. I do, don't I? Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, yes, you absolutely do. And I've argued with you a couple of times about it. Yeah, but yeah, yes. and I and I want a good argument because if you believe in it, you have to convince me why I should invest five or ten thousand dollars in bringing it to market because you know. That's what it costs. And and it really comes down to the fact that, Julie, you and I might love it, but it's not going to sell. Yeah. And, you know, if we really love it that much and we want to pay, you know, a couple hundred dollars to have two of them made, then God bless both of us and we should do that. But, you know, we're in the business to make money and to pay our bills and to pay our employees. So, so that's one of the things I do. And I think that that is the part that says this is who we are. We don't put garbage out there. We put really nice designs that hold together and that will work with with your, whoever you are out there, that will work with your project and you will enjoy not just once, but many times because it has so many, you know, so many different possibilities. So there's that part of it. Um, and I do a lot of, I do what I call a lot of the other pretty things. I'm, I keep our website up to date. I write our blog or I coerce <laughs> designers to to do blog postings for us which i i think are so much very entertaining and often better than mine um let's see i oversee the packaging um and i love when julie does makes beautiful packaging and has great ideas because it's always it's always nice to see somebody else's perspective you know i think any of us who work for ourselves we can get caught in our own little vacuum so 
I love when, when I get other info and, and other ideas coming through. Um, let's see. Oh, I, well, I was going to say I am the creator of all barcodes, but actually as of this week, Melissa at our shop, who's our office manager, she took over barcodes. I'm, I'm incredibly happy about that. Um, what else do I do? Well, there's, then there's the, the running of the business. We have, I think we have seven employees now. We just, we just, um, brought on somebody new, Sarah, a little shout out to her. And, um, we do all of our manufacturing in the U S and we do all of our packaging, um, in the U S as well. So everything is American made and we package it and ship it all out of New York. And um, there are ladies who, you know, work from 8 to 11, 9 to 4, 9 to 5. You know, we try to work around everyone's schedules. We do have, um, we have Margie who comes in from 2 to 5 because she, uh, she volunteers up at the hospital. And, and um, a lot of the moms needed to get out of there by 2 o'clock. So what better than to have a retired um, um, volunteer to come work the afternoon hours. So we try to, uh, we try to use everybody's skills and time. Um, I pay the bills, which is, you know, it, it has, it, there, it, there's a big emotional part of it. You know, you're trying to balance your budget, um, and make the time to do that. Um, and, and just all of the forecasting, you know, figuring out how many of those bricks stencils do I need, you know, um, and figuring out who's, who's going to want them this month. You know, is there a reason, you know, we have a couple of Christmas stencils, make sure I have enough for Christmas time. Uh, we have a bunch with beautiful flowers, make sure I have enough for mother's day and for Easter. So, um, yeah, I do a lot of the forecasting. So a lot of the nuts and bolts and the statistics and figuring out when to, when my baby is ugly and it's time to discontinue it. <laughs> it's always a hard thing to do, you know, to, uh, discontinue one of your old favorites, but um, I make those hard decisions as well. Can you Did talk about, out? well, can you talk about going to some of these shows? It's the not shows. just CHA, but they're very draining. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's, it's many things. These shows I used to, a long ago, I attended, I used to attend just as a buyer, which was exhausting because um, those shows were huge and I would have my, the amount of money that I could spend and in what categories. So I had to really balance it. And then we started exhibiting at these shows. So I would be at the booth sometimes, running around shopping sometimes. And that was crazy. So I have to say, um, just in quotations, um, being at my booth is, is definitely easier than trying to be at my booth and trying to be a buyer. But um, gearing up for CHA is a bear. Um, we are all, I mean, forget about enjoying Christmas because right now we are totally in CHA mode. Um, I leave on January 8th, um, to fly to California. Um, it takes me two solid days to set up and I, I usually set up pretty much by myself. I do have people here and there who offer to come help. And if they're available, I always accept help. I'm, my mama didn't raise no dummy. If someone offers to, uh, to do heavy lifting, I will certainly accept their, their gracious offer. Um, but to get there, I mean, we've got to have everything packaged, everything labeled properly. I create all of the order forms, um, and all the PDFs and all of the JPEGs that go out to, to our um, customers. Um, and they all have, everything has to be lined up and ready and, and our booth packed up down to, you know, extra pens and, and an extra calculator and, um, you know, and everything goes in a truck. Everything people, goes in the truck. People don't so the, realize that. You yes. have to pack your truck and then 
make sure it gets there. Oh my, don't even poo 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 as my grandma was. I don't even want to think of it not getting there. So the truck supposedly is arriving on January 2nd. So you can imagine um, how much fun we're going to have over our Christmas break. Not. And um, <laughs> make sure that all the pieces are there. All of our light bulbs are there. Um, and so there's like, first you're doing, you're, you're, you're doing all this grunt work. You are building like a little living room. And then for three and a half, four days, you know, I put on my movie star hair and, and my, my wonderful smile and, and I'm, I'm the sales staff. And, you know, a lot of our sales reps come by with, with customers um, who own stores and um, they shop. And that's very exciting. You know, I, I always think about that Zen moment that I have as I get on the plane, because at that moment, I cross this threshold where if it's not done, it's not getting done. And from this point forward, it's just go. And so these five hours on the plane, I, I really, I try to find my Zen. Thank God for JetBlue. And because once I get in my rental car, I am going, 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 going. I'm going to go to the, the convention center, make sure my booth arrived, make sure my carpet is laid down, make sure they have everything, you know, count my boxes, make sure everything arrived, um, make sure the things that I had to ship later went to my hotel. Um, it's a lot, you know, for the people who are buyers and store owners who show up on that first day and the beautiful carpeting's all down and, and everything is vacuumed and everyone's wearing their nicest little outfits. Let me tell you, there's a lot that goes into it before that, that nine o'clock point and, and everyone goes, hi, how have you been? We have been sweating up a storm. I mean, Las Vegas, 105. It was 105 setting up over the summer. <laughs> it was nuts. So yeah, a lot of, a lot goes into it. Um, you know, it's it's a nice break from working in the office or working at my my home office. Um, it's what it's what makes our business tick. You know, con- reconnecting with our customers and that's wonderful. But yeah, you are on nine to five. You are on. It's you know, it's like working at Macy's, um, except you're not selling perfume. You're selling stencils. But it's not just nine to five because I know you go home, you write up <laughs> back to your hotel room, you're writing up orders, you're making phone calls, you're on the internet. Yeah, yeah. And also it's a great time to connect with um, customers who you didn't get a chance to talk to um, during the day. So, um, you know, there are, are my sales reps. So it doesn't stop. No, it's, I mean, it, you are really going, 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 going. I mean, people were like, you know, have also often said, oh, you're traveling, how nice. You know, it's not a boondoggle. It's not, you know, the guys who say, oh, yeah, I have to go to uh, Arizona and they're playing golf all day. It's it's not that. No, we are, you know, I'm getting there probably 730, 8 o'clock in the morning um, and doing some last minute. Maybe somebody, maybe I'm fixing a sample. Maybe I'm making a sample. Maybe I'm vacuuming. And then the show starts and then the show ends at five. And then sometimes I'm not even going back to the hotel room. I'm meeting somebody to talk about, you know, a project they want to work on or a promotion they'd like to do. And um, yeah, nine, 10 o'clock at night, you know, then I'm getting to my hotel room, which I do have to say, somebody else makes my bed, which is really the best part about traveling. (laughs) So yeah, and sometimes I get to see you guys. Usually we're running to Target with you. (laughs) And I will have a rental car. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. So that's a that's a little snapshot of of CHA. It's 
I think for people when they come their first time, it's very overwhelming. And I'm, I'm certainly jaded at this point, but um, a lot goes into it. A lot goes into making it wonderful and making it all come together for each of us in those exhibitor booths. What's the best experience you've had as a uh, business owner? Oh, well, I don't know about you, Julie, but when the stencils first come, when you've, when you've drawn that design and, and you know, it gets cut and you see it for the first time, that is the biggest ego boost in the world. Do you, do you feel the same way? Do you go like, oh my God, wow. Yeah, I mean, when they come to my house, I mean, the thing that's so funny is oftentimes I design them, you know, so many months before that when they come, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's like a weird moment where I'm like, oh, yeah, I did design that. That's not that bad, you know, and then sometimes they come and I'm like, no, what was I thinking? Yeah, yeah, that happens, too. <laughs> or, you know, there's there's a there's an engineering part of stencils. I mean, I'm sure with a lot of things where um, in your head, it looked like this. <laughs> and in reality, you know, um, it, it's not going to happen. Like, you know, pieces don't, pieces don't cut out the way you thought they should, but they're so close together or they're so intricate or whatever it is. Well, it's um, also sometimes, I mean, 12 by 12 and six by six, which are the two sizes that the stencils come in are so they're so different. I mean, they're so different that sometimes the design looks fab in one size and in the other size you think, you yeah. know, something is a little off here. And that's always an interesting thing for me. And then I know that one of the things is I often create with very delicate lines. So one of the things that I recently just sent you redos of was because there were some stencils that once I actually put them into use, I couldn't get the paint to keep from rolling under because the lines were so delicate so we had to redo those. Yeah. Yeah. Reality hits. <laughs> this Julie, is what happens in real life. Julie, haven't you also found that designing stencils has helped you in terms of your carving rubber stamps? Yeah. I mean, I think they're obviously designing stencils. And the one thing that Jamie always says is like, you have to remember when you design a stencil, right, that it has to all hold together as one piece. And so over the years that I've now been designing for Jamie, like my brain has started to think of pattern and design in a different way. Instead of it being disparate pieces, I've started to think of it as an overall um, pattern, if that makes sense, or pattern's the wrong word, but it's just an overall piece instead of individual pieces. And I noticed when I was carving stamps recently that it has, even though stamps don't have to hold together in the same way, my brain though the way that I'm thinking about designs is more related to stencils than it ever was. So, I mean, I think it's like so many things in your art life. Once you start to figure out one skill, it bleeds sort of into everything that you do because you can't, you can't partition yourself, you know, it just, it, it becomes. Yeah. I find myself seeing patterns and things, um, taking pictures of, you know, uh, fabric or, you know, just, or, or just things that I notice in nature. You know, I find myself taking pictures of them because I'm inspired. And um, just also thinking in black and white. I'm, I'm a very color-oriented person, so stencils are have nothing to do with color and um, everything to do with pattern. And so I, 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 that's where it's pushed me, and it's kind of a neat place to be because almost when you simplify 
your design, you have to, you really have to, um, you have to hone it. You can't just, when you don't have color to mask some of the imperfections, um, you have nothing to hide behind. You have to have a good design, which is what what good stencils are. Yeah. And a huge learning curve for me, I know, has been that there are a lot of my stencils that like I can show you in use how awesome they are, but they don't necessarily have hanger appeal where you look at them and you're like, oh, I want to use that. Whereas I know that there are stencils that have hanger appeal, but frankly, when you use them are not that exciting. And that's a really interesting thing that's tied into how you sell things, you know, and for me, it's like the holy grail is trying to find those pieces that have both hanger appeal and when you work them, they're awesome. Is that yeah. some of the philosophy behind the balls or bits, the little pieces that you've put out? Because they are much more, I think, versatile because you can't use them as the entire picture. Yeah, I mean, when well, so when I came to Jamie and I was like, Jamie, I have this idea that I want to do. And she was like, oh, no, get away from me. But um, <laughs> no, so I said, you know, I want to do these little tiny stencils because at the time, I mean, not to say that this is not true now, but I was so into jelly printing and I was finding that I was – Um, cutting a lot of little paper pieces, which obviously were not reusable and it took a lot of time. And I wanted to have some little plastic bits that would be perfect for the jelly printing. And I also happen to know that the 6x6 stencils sell a lot better than the 12x12s. I think people gravitate towards that small size. It seems more manageable. So that was really why I started to go towards, I wanted to do those little balls or bits because I wanted something that people could handle that was easy, that didn't have the square edges of the other stencils, you know, and that would be perfect basically for creating masks as opposed to stencils. Yeah. Yeah. They're, so. they're very cool. I hate to end this conversation, but we have actually been talking for an hour and I, it's time for us to wrap up. So I know it's so sad. We'll have to talk it's at so CHA. Um, so <laughs> Jamie, where can people find you online? Well, I just started our website, www.thecraftersworkshop.com. Com. And from there, you can click on our blog. You can go to our Facebook page. Um, we, twi- we tweet at um, TCW Stencils and Instagram at TCW Stencils. Um, lots of great places. And the blog really has a lot of fun stuff, not just stuff that I write, but what a lot of people write. And as always, you can find me at balzerdesigns.typepad.com. And thanks, Mom, who you cannot find online because she doesn't believe in that. <laughs> you can find me waiting by the phone for Julie's call. Oh, that's so <laughs> sad. Okay. So do leave us your comments or questions at balzerdesigns.com slash arting. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, please use the hashtag pound arting, A-R-T-I-N-G. And thanks so much for listening. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting Podcast.